0: Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 416 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thank you for joining us. We know that you are out there probably celebrating a holiday someplace. I guess it's possible that you are, that you don't celebrate any of these kind of religious holidays, but this weekend marks the convergence of Easter, Passover, and Ramadan all at the same time, so I'm betting a healthy percentage of our audience is like, "Aren't shouldn't you guys be doing something other than talking about basketball this weekend? And the answer is yes, we probably should, but the other answer is We just love talking about basketball. So I am Jason Evans, your host this week. Thanks so much for joining us. I am joined, as I almost always am, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, like me, you are celebrating Passover, right?
1: That is correct. I am with my parents this weekend. I neglected to bring my podcasting mic, so I am sorry that I'm just using the regular computer microphone. Hopefully, it is coming through clearly enough, but yes, uh, we have to come back and and talk about all the 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 little things. And, and before we start, can I just uh, tease one very quick story that sure. doesn't require really much reaction at all? I was in uh, Durham this week. I happened to be in town. Ta- I was in town for one day for a work thing. I uh, did not get to, I was there on the same day as the basketball banquet, which I know we're going to at some point this episode. But late on Thursday night, I was bouncing around downtown durham and ran into nolan smith uh talked to him for a couple minutes he was saying so he had been in town for the for the banquet and he told me that he was leaving early the next morning for louisville and uh seemed like he was he was having he was having a good time uh and i told him uh, how proud all of us were for him uh for what appears to be a, a little bit of a promotion that he's getting and uh wishing him well so that was that was pretty cool to uh to see nolan uh
0: this week I love it. I love it. Uh, Donald Wine is also joining us. Donald, how are you doing this fine holiday weekend?
2: Uh, I'm a little tired. Uh, I'm uh, on Pacific time this weekend. I'm in San Diego uh, visiting a friend and uh, we were obviously uh, out seeing the sights last night. So having a great time, but uh, it will be Easter tomorrow um, for for those of you who celebrate Easter. Happy Easter to you all and Ramadan Kareem to everybody uh, who celebrates Ramadan
0: as well. Thank you very much. And uh, let's get to the news. There's not a ton of it. We're still waiting on a lot of NBA decisions from uh, NBA draft decisions from from Duke players. But we got a little piece of news this week that, that I want to start us off with. And that is this. Joey Baker has decided that he will come back. He will play a fifth season of college basketball and he will play it at Duke University. Uh, guys, I don't know if we should call this a surprise or not. We, we speculated when Joey did not get a senior day, when he when his senior day became Coach K's senior day instead, we came on this podcast and we all said, "Oh, yeah, know, I really think this means Joey's going to come back." And then the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament, Joey played very, very little. Um, in fact, I think he may not have played at all in any of those games. And and everyone sort of went, "Oh, wow! If he's if he's literally not playing, is he really going to come back to this program where, you know?" where he's, he's nothing other than a practice player, at least you know, in those final in those games of, of late March. So uh, let, let, me, let me start with this then, and Sam, I'll come to you first. Were you surprised to find out that Joey was coming back for a fifth year? Yeah, I was.
1: The, the other part of the news that's coupled with him coming back is that he just had hip surgery, and so he's, he's on crutches now and is going to be recovering over the summer. I don't know if they said that there's a, a timeline on it, but that sounds like something that at least could take a few months, which may have affected his ability to get into the transfer portal and actually successfully transfer somewhere. You doubt that another program wants to take on a guy for one season who is coming off a of surgery and you just have no idea what he's going to look like. So that may have, have hampered his ability to transfer. Oh, hey, hey,
0: let me let me jump in there. I think there's if Joey had wanted to transfer, there are programs that would have taken him hip surgery and all i i think sure but but
1: but they would have to be also responsible for the for the um for the rehab and and that can be that can be challenging not just because the program doesn't know what they're going to get but because there may be some um there may be some you know uh changes in the way that he's being cared for so for his own recovery uh, it might have made more sense even if he's going to get less playing time at duke to stay here where he knows that he's under the same training staff and, and whatever doctors have worked on him, you know, if he had transferred nearby, maybe he'd be able to come back and forth, but it certainly makes it easier to recover from surgery. If you, if you get to stay with the same staff the whole time. So on that front, I was a little surprised that he decided to come back. Cause as you said, Jason, he wasn't playing much and Duke brings in more wing talent this summer. We know that uh, like, or sorry, we don't know exactly how the roster is going to shape out. There are a lot of, NBA draft decisions for Duke that are still pending so you know if, if Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels come back and Derek Whitehead is in the mix at Duke there probably aren't a ton of wing minutes for Joey Baker to play and there certainly aren't that many up front with Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively in the mix there but
0: and Mark, some Mitchell. Of those guys,
1: and Mark Mitchell if some of those guys uh if some of the NBA guys don't show up or any of the freshmen sort of don't pan out uh there are plenty of ways you could envision Joey Baker coming off the bench next year. The other thing that, um, that kind of gets me excited about this news. So I I didn't think this was going to happen. I I figured it was, it was likely that he would transfer to another program where, you know, similar to, to an Alex O'Connell or even to a Henry Coleman, he figures the playing time is just not there. I really want to play a lot of minutes. I never have gotten to do that in my college career, despite being what, you know, he's not, he's not necessarily good enough to get on the court for Duke, but he's certainly good enough to get on the court for, a potentially a power five program, if not a really good mid-major program. But Coach K entrusted him with the captaincy this season. He's coming back next year. Presumably, he'll be a captain again. And being it much on the floor, must be scenes where Coach K is telling Joey Baker and, and John Shire presumably is also telling Joey Baker that there's something valuable that he's bringing to the program, even if he's not, you know, hitting four threes a game every night for the Blue Devils.
0: Yeah. Hey, hey Donald. So let's talk about expectations for Joey next year. And I I will push back on a little something that that Sam was saying. Uh, You know, we didn't know anything about this this hip surgery and this hip injury that clearly led to it. It's possible that Joey Baker wasn't playing down the stretch because he was suffering some injury that, uh, you know, Coach K doesn't like to talk about injuries unless he has to. And if no one asked him about Joey Baker's hip, he wasn't going to volunteer it. So it's possible that we didn't see Joey Baker late in the season because he may have been struggling with something. So what are your expectations, Donald, for him next year? Well, I will say this. I I think late
2: in the season, in the regular season, Joey, you know, had been, they've been asked about his playing time. And he had mentioned that Joey had been battling some injuries throughout the season. This is clearly the injury that he was battling. Uh, And, and a hip, I, I think all of us have had a hip injury to the point where it feels, it feels like you just want to take your leg off and, and, Getting that you know, fixed, I think, is going to be great. I also think, uh, to Sam's point, I think he may have gotten offers in the transfer portal, but he may not have gotten the offers that he was looking for in the transfer
0: portal with that hip injury and the recovery. Oh, oh wait, it wait. Makes jo- sense. Joey, Joey never entered the portal. Joey, technically. I know, teams, I understand. Right, technically teams I, couldn't really talk to him, but he probably he wanted that. to put out feelers he could have. Right, I understand that, but I think what he was thinking is, hey,
2: the teams that I'm looking to go to Are not going to be the teams that want to respond to someone because you know the transfer portal is about guys coming in and making an immediate impact. No one is going that that gets questioned when you're recovering from a hip injury. So I I think he his his options may have been limited, but also I think he's in the best hands. He's been one of the best you know hospital systems in America in the world. So to if there's no better place for him to really you know get that recovery done. But I also will say this. I wasn't as surprised as you guys were that he's coming back because if you remember, he reclassified as a senior in high school to enter Duke early. He then played basically you know, a half a game to kind of blow that, uh, that redshirt year that everyone thought that he was going to have. So this is really his redshirt year that he should have had all along. So I think him coming back is great. The leadership aspect of things is great. I, I think, we are going to be more in need of leadership next year than we were this year, because we won't, It's, it's possible, we don't have a senior guy in Wendell Moore. Window Moore might be gone. Uh, and we may not have a guy on the court that can be the leader. He can be that guy from the bench. And if we get a couple of guys, maybe through the transfer portal, then you have that leadership aspect of things lined up for, for John Shire's first year.
0: So I will say I had vacillated between being absolutely certain that Joey Baker would return and and pretty unsure that it would happen. So I I was I wasn't completely surprised that we got this announcement because, uh, you know, again, I think that I think that when Joey didn't get a senior day, it, it, it sort of spoke volumes to there was just no way Coach K would allow that to happen without knowing that Joey would have that chance somewhere down the line in the future. And the only reason that we wavered, I think, on that belief was because Joey got so little playing time. Um, Yeah, the the
1: lack of the lack of senior day really stands out in in hindsight. Like, I think, Jason, you had mentioned it right at the time you were like, if he's not if he doesn't get to speak like this hasn't really happened before where guys were on track to graduate. He had been there for four years. We haven't heard anything. he, He was not one of the. Uh, team members selected for all ACC academic as Mark Williams was, but uh, no indications that Joey Baker's not graduating this spring with the rest of his cohort. So,
2: and, and also, we, you know, Jason, we were sitting next to each other when I got the text from my best friend that was like, Hey, I just heard Joey's not speaking tonight, and it's probably because he's coming back. And right. we both go, Hmm, interesting. And I think on the, on the podcast immediately afterwards, all three of us were like, Hmm, interesting this wasn't interesting. This was something that we knew was kind of common. And I'm glad that he's back because we're going to need, even if from the bench, we're going to need that leadership. And even if you're thinking
1: about, if you're thinking about Duke's roster depth for this coming season, and you know, we obviously talk about this all the time, but even if Joey Baker is not playing 25 minutes a game and scoring, you know, a, a ton or something, I probably trust him more than I do a lot of transfers that Duke might be able to bring in let's you know as we reflect on on a season where Theo John was was a great transfer addition to Duke more transfers end up looking like Patrick to than look like Theo John uh so it's possible Joey Baker ends up being uh you know a better a better eighth ninth tenth man on the bench than a lot of guys that are available right now in the portal
0: yeah so my last word on on all this is first of all I want to say that I have been a Joey Baker, uh, backer, supporter, whatever you want to call it, advocates throughout his entire career. Uh, You guys will probably recall that I picked him as the best three-point shooter on the team in our stats game this year. Um, And I wasn't hugely wrong. Joey shot really well from three this season. He just wasn't quite as good as the lights out AJ Griffin. I I think, I I believe that I may have picked Joey a year ago as the best three-point shooter, you know, or two years ago, I guess you'd say, you know, prior to the 2020 campaign, I, Uh, 2020-21 campaign. I picked him as the the guy who I thought would lead the team in three-point percentage. So I am a big believer in Joey Baker. I also believe that we do not know what John Shire's rotations will look like compared to Coach K. Uh, Coach K played basically once you hit February, certainly March, Coach K was playing six and a half players. That's the way Coach K always was. And Joey had trouble cracking that rotation. I don't know that John Shire is going to be the same way. I think it's entirely possible John Shire will be using seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 players. It's not out of the realm of possibility. There are many, many coaches that do that kind of thing. And in that kind of scenario, I think Joey Baker could have a very significant impact on this team next year. And look, when the dude gets hot, you want to keep him in the game because he is instant offense in a big, big way. So I'm not going to say my expectations are that Joey Baker is going to be you know, a double digit scorer next year for the Blue Devils but I won't be surprised if he's playing double-digit minutes and if he's scoring, you know, three to six points most games and some games he's going off and getting us double digits. I, if you think back
2: to the stats game when we were talking about, you know, team guys who were going to lead the team in scoring, Jason, I think you and I both thought that, hey, there's going to be one game early in the season where Joey Baker is just going to go off yeah. and he's going to score 20 points on six threes and, and lead the team in scoring. Um, That
0: obviously didn't happen, but we all know that capability is there because we've seen it. All right, so let's get to our next topic because part of figuring out what Joey Baker's role on this team is, is figuring out who's going to be on this team. (laughs) Um, And we're not talking about the transfer portal as much as we're talking about NBA draft decisions. And we haven't heard yet. Now, part of it is, I think, that uh, the, the, the basketball banquet was coming up and Duke kind of tries to Tries to, to have the NBA announcements, NBA draft announcement happen after the, the banquet. They want the banquet to be a celebration of the season and not sort of looking at guys leaving. Uh, and so I, I suspect over the course of the next week, because there's only about a week left to declare for the NBA draft, that you'll hear a flurry of activity from Blue Devil players. We're recording this on Saturday morning. It is entirely possible that by the time you folks listen to this, we'll have heard something from some of the Duke players. Everybody's, are... everybody's leaving and everybody's staying. Yeah, they're, right they're, We've covered everything. <laughs> Uh, but, um, I, you know, we, we await over the next week um, uh, some kind of announcement, I think, from six Blue Devil players, the six different guys who started games last year, all of whom have a chance um, of going into the NBA draft. And we got an email from a guy named Dave Jordan. Uh, and Dave had a really interesting question. He said, I struggle to understand how someone who plays incredible at the college level barely gets a sniff from the NBA while someone else gets drafted based solely on potential. Why do NBA scouts discount the eye test of head to head competition in college? And he said, I'm talking about Trevor Keels or Jeremy Roach against Caleb love Keels couldn't even start over Jeremy Roach. And yet Trevor Keels has way more NBA stock than Jeremy Roach does. And Caleb love bested the Duke guards twice. And yet, Trevor Keels is considered a far better NBA prospect. He said, what about Armando Baycott and Mark Williams? Mark Williams is an elite rim protector, but struggles defending on the perimeter and is not great in pick and roll. He's just an average rebounder and yet he's going to go in the lottery. Armando Baycott, who is undersized for a pro center, but excels in the pick and roll, is an amazing rebounder, seems more versatile than Mark Williams and has frankly embarrassed Mark Williams in their matchups head to head. Mark Baycott's, Armando uh, Baycott's barely a second round fringe guy. And Dave said, maybe I'm bitter <laughs> that Duke gets the guys who, are, who seem to leave before their sophomore season, while UNC gets guys who, you know, all come back for junior and senior, even super senior kind of years. We got word this this, this week that both Armando Baycott is coming back and Leaky Black is coming back. And there's lots of talk that Caleb Love may come back as well. He said, it just seems like an NBA team would be willing to take a flyer on a guy who averaged a double-double against elite college competition like Armando Baycott, a guy who pulled down 15-plus rebounds against centers who are going to be drafted ahead of him. All right, guys, you heard Dave's question. It is a a question, complaint, whatever you want to call it, that we've heard many, many times from Duke fans who lament players going pro early. DJ Stewart, I've heard DJ Stewart's name brought up a lot this week. Uh, Donald, I'll come to you first. What's the answer here? Why are the Duke guys all getting drafted and going in the draft and the UNC guys sticking around? The answer is there's no real
2: answer because there's no real blueprint on how a guy gets heralded for the draft versus someone who doesn't. And there's no real blueprint for a guy who is heralded and that we assume that he's going to make it and he doesn't versus a guy who stays all four years and goes on to have a successful NBA career. It's all about potential upside. Those are some of the buzzwords that you'll see uh, or you'll hear from draft analysts as we approach the NBA draft this summer, and very simple, you know, just like kind of the the NFL draft, you have guys that you know it's kind of like the the rankings, right? Like Duke is ranked in the top ten every single year. It, it takes a lot for us to drop out of that top twenty five because it takes a lot for a team for for writer to go, hey, this team just isn't that good. you have that base. Meanwhile, someone who is under the radar it takes a lot for them to get into that top 25 case and point like Wake Forest or someone like Miami this year. When you talk about the NBA draft, there are guys who automatically are told they have that upside. They have that potential. They have those buzzwords that NBA scouts and NBA teams are looking for. And it takes a lot for a team to say, "Mm, no, I was wrong. I changed. You guys have changed my mind. And it's not about play on the court. It's not about necessarily what you see. It's not about box scores. Sometimes they look at particular aspects of the game and say, hey, this is what we need on our team. It may be that, you know, they need a rim protector. They don't need a guy who can pick and roll, which is why Mark Williams is rated very high. It may be that they need, you know, they they don't want someone who's 24, which is why some of these seniors are rated very low, because they want someone who will be able to stay with their team for the better part of a decade. So there's a lot of aspects of things, and there's no real, like, right or wrong answer to this. Uh, but I will say this, when it comes to the top guys in the in any high school rankings that you see come out every year, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, those guys know that they're good. People are telling them that they're good. And their goal is to get to the pros as quickly as possible. And that is the drawback of recruiting the top five, 10 guys in the country every single year, is that you're going to have guys that are going to want to leave after a year to maximize that pro potential, and again, all those buzzwords that I talked about, they get amplified when someone is 18 or 19 years old, and a team goes, "We can have this guy for the next 15 years." So that is that is a, not an answer, but it is an answer on how this works. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Duke is going after guys, and here's the thing: that for for UNC and uh, as an example, Roy Williams before Hubert Davis loved to recruit guys to stay. He didn't recruit, he didn't tell guys, hey, you may be ready to go, go ahead and do what you need to do. He was recruiting them on why they should stay at Carolina, why they should be a part of the team, even though they were ready to go to the NBA draft. So just because a guy
0: stays doesn't mean he's not ready. All right, so you mentioned recruiting rankings, and this is something that this bugs the heck out of me, all these people who say, Duke needs to not recruit the one and dones, they need to recruit players who are ranked a little bit lower, like the Carolina guys. Gentlemen, do you know who was rated higher in the recruiting rankings between Armando Baycott and Mark Williams? Exactly. Armando Baycott was a higher rated prospect than Mark Williams. Do you know who was rated higher between Trevor Keels and Caleb Love? Caleb Love was a higher rated pro- Caleb Love was a top 15 prospect. Uh, you can't just look at recruiting rankings and try and figure this stuff out. A lot of it is luck, if you want to call it luck. Sam, what's, what's your answer on this?
1: Well, there are, there are a few other angles on this. The first on the recruiting rankings is. That you you sort of have to dig a little deeper on what the rankings are trying to evaluate. Are they evaluating the best high school player, the guy who has the best potential to be great at the college level, or the guy who has the best potential to be great at the pro level? And I admitted, and and right, and I admittedly like don't have. I I I actually don't have the the depth of knowledge on that on how on how you put those rankings together.
0: Well, I'll tell you that most of those ranking services, while they while they aren't strictly ranking on NBA potential, like that's not their bottom line. A lot of what they want is when you look back in a few years at their rankings, when these guys are in the NBA, that you would look and go, oh, look, they got it right. And I'll give you, I I mean, there's a great example this year, Derek Lively, who is considered the number one player in the class, is not considered the guy in the class who's going to have the most immediate, most impactful um, uh, freshman season. I, I'm not saying Derek Lively won't be very, very good for Duke, but there's a little question that Derek Whitehead is going to be a, uh, a probably a better college bo- basketball player from day one than Derek Lively. But the reason Derek Lively is ranked number one by a lot of these r- services is because they expect that over time he's going to develop into a better player. And, and by that, by over time, I mean in the NBA.
1: And projection is the, is the hard thing here, right? You're, you're trying to figure out their bodies, how their games are going to develop. And and some of that really is guesswork, not just by the recruiting analysts, but by the people who are recruiting them. You know, when John Shire and Nolan Smith and, and Chris Carowell are seeing a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old play basketball in a gym, they're not thinking this guy's a finished product. Even when they see high school players who are as talented as like a Apollo Bancaro or an RJ Barrett those are not finished products. Those guys are, are still works in progress and they're trying to figure out how, how things are going to develop for them. A big thing that the, that the colleges are providing is that developmental step to getting to the NBA. And we've talked about how there may be some benefit to riding the bench in the NBA because you get to practice against the NBA players every day. And, and one of the things, one of the many things that these student athletes have to decide when they're, when they're, you know, faced with, am I going to the NBA draft or am I going to come back to college? Is where am I going to develop more? Uh, in in school, you have to you have to go to class, you have other commitments. Whereas in the NBA, you get to just focus on basketball, and and now you you throw in the we have to talk about NIL every every time we we have one of these conversations. You got to throw that into the mix now too, because before it was like, well, in the NBA, even if you're riding the bench, you're probably getting better basketball development because you get to focus on it. And by the way, if you're riding the bench in the NBA, you're still pulling like a mid six figure salary at the same time. Now you can probably do that playing at Duke or playing at Carolina. So it it, it may even the playing field for a guy. I don't know if Wendell, Wendell Moore is, is considered a a first round pick. So he's going to get good guaranteed money and, and probably a spot, but for second round picks who don't have that guaranteed spot, they might be bouncing between the, the NBA and the G league where they don't really make that much money. Um, the money might be better for a guy who's, you know, maybe this would have applied to DJ Stewart last year. DJ Stewart was, was not guaranteed to be a first round pick. We, we thought that he might be, um, but then we,
0: we pegged then, him as mid second and, and he didn't and, even go there.
1: <laughs> right. And so, so for him, the decision this year might be totally different because now he's saying, well, you know, I might be able to pull half a million dollars or $300,000 this year playing at Duke. And if I'm playing in the G league, I'm making five figures and and riding on buses all the time. So so that that actually has a different, but, but to come back to, um, to the listener's question, uh, all of this is extremely difficult. And and the, the coaches are sort of after different things. One of the things, I, you know, Coach K said many times during the one and done era that he didn't really change his recruiting philosophy, that he was still like going after great student athletes. I think that he's being a little disingenuous. I do think he started recruiting NBA talent a little bit better than he did in the in the decade prior to that you can just look at the NBA draft results for Duke and, and understand that and some of that I think comes from the USA basketball experience where all of a sudden coach K was recalibrated around not what are the best 20 year olds look like it's what are the best basketball players look like you know in, in in the whole world and um and he and and then he started approaching recruiting that way and, and started thinking about a guy like Paulo Banquero not just as how much is he? You know, how many points is he going to average in college? It's how high is his ceiling as an NBA, uh, as an NBA player, and so that's where that's where some of the recruiting philosophy may differ. I, you know, if Caleb Love is a better, uh, is his higher rated than Trevor Keels in high school, it doesn't necessarily mean that he projects to be an NBA, the better NBA player in six years. That's sure that's what they're going for, but it's so hard to to uh, to, to untangle all of that.
2: I think part of the angst also that fans feel when it comes to this particular topic is how a player does in the NBA, right? Like we we don't have this conversation if, you know, everyone from Duke who's going to the NBA is a perennial all-star winning, you know, winning NBA titles and just the best, you know, 10, 15 guys in the league it's that they look at the, you know, the Marvin Bagley's of the world who get drafted high, but go into a difficult situation.
0: Well, wait, they... but Donald, it's not Marvin Bagley. I think it's, I think it's DJ Stewart. It's Matthew Hurt. It's Trevon it, it's Duvall. Everybody. It's the Duke guys. It's everybody. Who, yeah. Yeah, but well, no, it's no But I mean, it's, the, I think the fan frustration comes in at those guys. who You feel like, why did that guy turn pro? Well,
2: it, it, at the same time, we also have guys who are highly rated who, you know, it, it doesn't work out for them either because it's about luck and opportunity. And it's about the, I mean, it's not college where you can pick the system that you want to play in, the system that best fits you or best amplifies your game. You get drafted by a team who thinks that you are going to fit into whatever philosophy that they have. And that doesn't always marry together. And I think even, you know, even for guys like DJ Stewart who don't make it, they also, there's a lot of people who will talk you up and say, hey, you're going to be in the first round, you're going to be the second round. Look, every single guy, who enters the NBA draft, at least until this year, every single guy who enters the NBA draft is not going in because they think they're going to be a late second rounder. They all have the belief that they can be a first rounder, that they can be an all-star, that they can be one of the best players in the NBA. That is part of their ego allows them to justify entering the draft in that way. And I'm not saying ego in a bad way. You have to have some sort of belief in yourself that you can be the best player in the NBA For you to decide to go pro, even though everyone's telling you, yo, you're not going, you're not going to make it. And there's also that chip on your shoulder, all those little intangibles that people think about when they consider. But at the end of the day, it's not about you being inserted into a system that you go, hey, this fits me. It's being drafted into a team that you have to adapt to. And I think that's where sometimes luck and opportunity don't always marry themselves. And a lot of times for Duke players, that's why we didn't have a team, you know, for a long time, we didn't have a guy who, Won an NBA title. He wasn't on an NBA title team until Shane Battier won one with the Heat. It, you know, the Danny Ferry won one as an executive with, this, with the. Uh, uh, or I'm sorry, he he didn't win one. He won with he, he won with won, the Spurs.
0: Danny won one as a
2: player with the Spurs. I think. But before that, I mean, that's the right. gap, right? Yeah, those were for a while. Those were the only two players in Duke history under Coach K that had won an NBA title. And we've had so many great players that have entered the NBA and played very well. So again, luck and
0: opportunity is a part of this as well. So the, the thing that I will say, I think that first of all, I think the Duke fans have uh, selective is the wrong, the wrong word for it, but you, you don't hear anybody out there going, wow, I can't believe we got Mark Williams back for a second year, but folks, there was a very real chance. It's not like if Mark Williams had decided to come out a year ago, Mark Williams was getting drafted and was getting a guaranteed contract. Now would it have been a first rounder? I'm not sure he might've been early in the second round or probably late in the first, but we got Mark Williams back this year, even though he could have gone to the NBA draft last year. Frankly, Wendell Moore probably could have gone to the NBA a year ago. Wendell Moore's you know, high school ranking was such that the NBA has been looking at him throughout his entire college career. And I'm not saying it was likely. I'm not saying Wendell Moore would have been drafted, but it wouldn't have been the craziest decision ever if Wendell Moore had decided to go to the NBA a year ago. Um, heck, there are even people out there who tell you that we, we're we lucky we got a second year out of Trey Jones. Uh, so it's not like every Duke guy who can possibly turn pro does turn pro. And I think, and I still hope that Duke is going to get some, you know, some of those, if you want to call them fringe guys, that we may get one or two of them back this year um, to play on next year's team. I think there's a lot of a lot of talk and speculation that that may happen. Um, most of it surrounding Trevor Keels. So it's not like any any guy from Duke who can turn pro does turn pro. But yeah, we have a lot of guys turn pro because we recruit the absolute elite. And there's no way that when Coach K or John Shire is out on the recruiting trail, when they're evaluating a prospect and they're looking at, okay, what kind of a kid is this? What kind of, how much effort does he put into his game? What kind of a player do I think he will be? There's no way they go, well, that guy looks like he's going to be too much of a NBA prospect. I'm going to back off him and go after this other guy who maybe looks like he's not quite as good of a prospect. That's just not part of the calculus. It doesn't happen. And, and with respect to North Carolina, because I think a lot of this is also Duke fans going, God, Carolina gets everybody back every year. Yeah. It's frustrating. You know, I don't know what Carolina's put in the water. I don't know how they've for a while now, they've just been getting very, very lucky on this, but let's also remember they've lost some fringe guys as well dayron sharp that they lost a year ago was not a guy who was going to automatically be a first rounder he went at the very very end of the first round it wouldn't have been shocking for dayron dayron sharp and mark williams essentially faced the same decision and dayron sharp went to the nba and mark williams stuck around there are examples of other carolina players uh, you know you know into the
2: the transfer portal last year do a whole little search and then decided decided to come back to unc like again they have to recruit guys to stay just as much as, you know, we're recruiting guys to come to Duke. Like their recruit, their recruitment may not be is heralded, but the reason why some of these guys come back, it's not because they are oh, the goodness are hard. They're saying, Oh, you know, I owe Carolina, everything. No, they're being recruited to stay.
0: And as that's, that's part of the idea too. And the bottom line is Duke is not going to change the recruiting. Duke is going to go after the very, very best players they can. And the very, very best players are probably going to be guys who are attractive to the NBA. And if you coach them well and they perform well and they show that they are outstanding college players, guess what? NBA is going to be calling. That's not a bad thing. That's just that's the way our team is set up. And John Shire has shown that every time we lose a guy, he's got someone already lined up to to come take his place. And if you think about it, too, I think we've hinted at this at several points during
2: the years and even this year as well, when it comes to how we recruit the next class. We also have guys that have a plan, right? Like there, there's been a couple of guys who say, Hey, I'm coming back for my sophomore year, but coach, that's it. I'm gonna leave after my sophomore year. And they Mark give them two D, Exactly. Mark Williams made
0: that clear to the coach. I,
2: I think I think Matthew Hurt was kind of the same way where he's like, Hey, I'm gonna give you one more year. Uh Josh McRoberts is probably the most famous one where he was like, I am coming back for my I'm, he announced that he was coming back for a sophomore year and that he was declaring for the draft immediately after that sophomore year. So that The team has a chance to kind of replace them. and I think that's just as good, too. I mean, I think people would appreciate that. I think what people don't appreciate is the ones who very, very, very late in the game decide, oh, now I'm going to leave and it leaves the team kind of in a lurch of like, oh, my goodness, how do we fill this position? We have all of that, too. And, And make no mistake we angst about it because we're Duke fans. We are not the only program that has to go through this. And I think there are hundreds of programs that would want to be in our position of having to deal with this angst every
1: single year. And Donald, I love that you brought up the Josh McRoberts example. The the main difference from when Josh McRoberts was in school to now is that there's so much more information available to the coaches to recruit replacements for a guy like that. Whereas once upon a time, if Josh McRoberts was, was leaving your program it would be and you only found out you know last week you know in in this part of the timeline it'd be a huge deal because oh man now we have to go find a power forward it's going to be so hard to find a guy um, because we've only recruited this this limited set of guys coach k famously didn't recruit that many players he sort of would would zero in on on the guys he really liked we now live in a, in a high information environment where all the coaches have access to all the recruiting rankings. They know who all of their rivals are recruiting. They have tape on on guys from every other program. And, and a lot of those guys are in the transfer portal. So, so players, I mean, what, what McRoberts did telling the program, like, I'm going to leave in a year or what Matthew Hurt did in saying, I, I need to come back to work on these things so I can leave. That the coaching staff can plan for, which they couldn't do as well once upon a time. And and that's probably as much as you can ask for from these players is that, you know, you can't recruit them thinking they're going to play for four years. You got to recruit them thinking one, maybe two years out.
0: You look bottom line, enjoy them while they're in a Duke uniform, support them after they're no longer in a Duke uniform. And there's nothing more we can do than that. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break on the other side. There's a new member of the, of the coaching staff, and he is a very, very, very familiar face. All right, gentlemen, we're back from the break and it's time to look not at the players, but at the guys sitting on the bench, not in uniform, I'm talking about the coaching staff, and Duke made it official. They, uh, they announced this week that Emil Jefferson has been elevated from director of player development to a full assistant coach for the Duke Blue Devils. This is probably as expected. <laughs> this is the least surprising piece of news about the coaching staff that you will probably ever, ever get. Um, I guess maybe a year ago when Nolan... Was uh, was elevated in the same kind of way. It was uh, it was you know equally non surprising, but uh, but we are thrilled to have Emil Jefferson joining the coaching staff. And Donald, I'll come to you first. Give me a little comment. What's what your feeling about Emil uh, being elevated into this into this important role? Uh terrific. I, I mean, it, again, you said it was expected, but as I mentioned, when
2: we when we heard the news, I'm glad that Duke moved quickly on the expected. Indeed, they didn't drag it out. They didn't have a search. We knew who we were going after. We knew who we wanted. And that helps fill one of these roles. I will say, go all the way back to October. I was at that practice uh, that A.J. Griffin got hurt in the, the, the famous, infamous practice now. Uh, but in that practice, before everything started, Emil Jefferson was warming up the bigs. He was, he was wor- warming up Mark Williams and Theo John. He also did a lot of shooting drills with Trevor Keels and A.J. Griffin and Jeremy Roach. But when he was working with the bigs, he had a fire about him that he wanted. He wanted, he took it personally. He wanted them to grow at a pace that he grew when he was at Duke. And if you guys remember when he came in, he like, he seemed to get better every single year. He seemed to be more and more invaluable to the team every single year. He figured out a way to just, just terrorize defenses and really just, you know, slaughter offenses with, with his, you know, with his play. And I think, having that on staff is terrific. Having a guy who played basketball at the highest level will immediately help our bigs. And I think the great thing is in the games that he, you know, there was a couple of games because uh, because Chris Carowell had the surgery. He was out for a couple of games and Emil Jefferson filled in as one of the quote countable coaches. And I think he excelled there because everyone who is around this program has told us that, he was instrumental in making Mark Williams and Theo John as great as they were this season as a tandem. And I think that is going to be great. We have, as you mentioned, Jason, we have Derek Lively the best center in next year's class coming in. We have Cal Filipowski, who's also six eleven. We have Christian Reeves, who's going to be developmental, but he's also seven one. We have a lot of tall trees coming into this program next year uh, to, to, you know, and Stanley Borden's on the, on the roster as well. He's seven feet. So Emil Jefferson is going to have, a, a great time really molding these bigs into playing the basketball that needs the bigs need to play the physical you know boxing out rebounding taking it to the rim but also in defense making sure that rim is protected emil jefferson was all of that in college he was he was excellent in his time in the nba at you know uh, the small time he was in the nba he was excellent at, at highlighting those qualities and i think as a coach he's going to bring those qualities out of the next generation super super happy he's on our staff
1: not at all surprised that he got this opportunity i think they had mentioned this when when he came in as a non-coach assistant for the program and even when he was in school i'm sure that if we go back and listen to our episodes from 2016 2017 we'd be saying like emil is basically a coach on the floor uh he is he has been like this pretty much since the day he arrived at duke and i have no doubt that he is going to be a uh, a successful coach in terms of his players believing that that Emil's getting the most out of them, uh, he he was able to wring the most out of his talent while he was at Duke, and then and then briefly in the NBA. And I believe that he knows exactly, as Donald was saying, I know that uh, Emil can do that with a variety of different types of players in college. It also helps that he spent that extra year at Duke. Uh, you know, he he took his redshirt season, and w- when he had the injury which uh, which I think only helped him um, sort of think a little bit more uh, broadly, a little bit more globally about about how to run the program and how to work with different types of players. So he's he's played with guys who are, you know, a lot of different ages. And I'm, I'm so not worried about Emile Jefferson being a, a good basketball coach. And we now have – I don't know if we need to, you know, speculate about, about the one more role that, that Duke needs to fill on the bench, but – uh, this does leave open the opportunity potentially for Duke to bring in another sort of former head coach. I know we talked about Mike Shraggy already, but uh, there's a you know, th- there's another spot here that could be really interestingly filled by John Shire because now he's got his official coaching staff is Shire, who is a shooting guard turned point guard. He's got Chris Carwell who's who's kind of a wing player, um, and then he's got. He's got Emil Jefferson, who's definitely a big man. So he sort of has all the position groups already covered, which is great news for uh, the development of, of the entire roster.
0: So I just want to talk very quickly and remind folks of what a special player Emil Jefferson was. He played in 150 games in a Duke uniform. There's no player. No player has played in more games than that in a Duke uniform. 150 games. During that time, by the way, games in Cameron Indoor Stadium, he was 67-2. and two. 67 and two in Cameron Indoor Stadium over the course of his career. This past season, we struggled winning at home. Emil yeah, he Yeah,
1: he lost more games as a, uh, as a special assistant than he did as a player. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> right. So, uh, and, and by the way, uh, he was a three time captain, the only three time captain um, in Coach K's history. And he was named to the ACC All Academic Team four times, the only player in Duke history to be a four-time academic, all ACC player, a smart guy, a guy who knows how to maximize his talent. You guys talked about a lot of this stuff, so there's not much more I can say on it. But I, 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 I love that he's on the staff. I think that when he goes out on the recruiting trail, he's going to be able to tell people, look, here's what I learned. Here's what I know about maximizing your talent. Here's what I know about playing in the NBA and And here's what I can impart to you about being the best player you can, because frankly by the t- by the time Emil Jefferson was a junior and a senior, his game had evolved so much from what it was as a freshman and a sophomore. This is someone who got better every year and you get better by putting in hard work and having good coaches and he, he's just I think he's an ideal choice I'm, I'm thrilled with it
2: uh, i I apologize to Emil Jefferson for neglecting to point out the one true quality that he has that is Going to be invaluable for any team, and that is intensity. Oh, I thought you were going to say Intens- the ring. He's wearing a ring. Oh he, no, no, he's got a the national, national championship. championship ring. Yeah, his national championship. We have a lot of national but his intensity on the court is was infectious. Like if you guys remember, he would get a rebound, hustle down, and lay it in off the glass, and he would run back. It just had that glare, and everybody on the team on the court, bench, crowd did not matter. Did not want to let Emil Jefferson down. I saw that quite a bit this year where he would look at guys and he would give them that stare and guys would sit there and just the intensity would lock in and they'd go, Hey, we got to get together because deep down they did not want to let him down. And I think that is going to be the biggest thing. His intensity is something that is badly needed on any Duke team for it to be great. We saw, you know, we saw that this year at times where these guys could lock in. I know that was Emil Jefferson talking in their ear and having him, as kind of a guiding role guiding light for some of these guys to say hey this is not necessarily how you play college basketball this is how we play duke basketball it's tough it's intense and i need you to be focused from the time you enter the gym until the time you leave it that sort of mentality is going to be something that he's going to bring to every duke
1: team he's a part of guys i had a quick aside about mike schrage since we were on the topic of of guys who are on the staff currently Uh, i meant to mention this on our last show and and just totally forgot uh, right after Shragi was announced as as coming to Duke, uh, leaving Elon, his Wikipedia page it has since been changed. But his Wikipedia page said Mike Shragi is the assistant to the regional manager at Duke Basketball, which is that. a uh, which is a nice uh, nice reference to the office, which I really appreciated. Now uh, the um, the wiki police have showed up, and now it, it just says that he's a special assistant. So uh, bummer, but it was a it was a funny uh, it was a funny Wikipedia thing for a short like while. Please sometimes. don't. Please don't please don't make uh, make it a habit of of changing Wikipedia for the worst. Change it for the better. Uh, okay, Cameron Crazies. Next year's Cameron Crazies. Uh, at
2: least for one game, I need people to show up as Dw- Dwight Schrute. Um, <laughs> just kind of give me give me that in the crowd. You don't have to do it every game, but give me a Dwight Schrute and a Michael Scott just so we can just so we can laugh at that just one time.
1: Is Mike Schragge going to wear a, a short-sleeve yellow button-down shirt and a pocket protector? <laughs> oh, that, my that, God. Would be, that would
0: Beats. be great.
2: Just beats, just throwing beats on the court. Yeah, lots workouts. of beats. <laughs> all
0: right, considering there was, there was not a lot of, you know, huge news this week, we're going long. So let's quickly wrap things up. I w- do want to talk very, very briefly about the basketball banquet that happened uh, this week. Um, uh, you know, we mentioned this earlier on the show uh, that this is the moment where Duke honors the season that just happened. And uh, even though, look, it, it, it didn't end the way all of us would want. I mean, they're hanging two banners. That's a, That's a really, really impressive team. I want to very, very quickly, um, uh, when asked to name the most valuable player, the most valuable player award was given to Paula Bancaro, Wendell Moore, and Mark Williams. If you thought there was, you know, oh, like, I wonder which one of those guys is going to win it. Well, Duke solved that. They gave it to all three of them. The, uh, the commitment and values award was then given to A.J. Griffin, Trevor Keels, and Jeremy Roach. This is a, a little bit like Little League uh, participation trophies. Everybody's getting a trophy because the co- contribution to team morale was given to Theo John. So Duke's top seven players all won uh, various awards. But congratulations to all of them because I think all those make a ton of sense. And of course, the thing that everyone has taken away from, from the banquet is that Coach K was gifted a silver Labrador retriever. Just the cutest little thing you've ever seen in your life. It licked his face like on cue. I think the dog had been trained. When, when this guy is holding you, start licking his face. It was just perfect. And the dog's name... His previous dog, who died last summer, was named Blue. This dog's name is Coach. So coach now has a coach.
1: It was incredible. Uh, th- that that was a couple of things that you just can't you can't replicate. So
2: I I I love that moment. Um and you could tell he was genuinely shocked at it. Um, and as was Mickey. Mickey was kind of like, she kind of had a at first it, it was funny. It it looked like he, she had a look that said. Oh no! Now we gotta like pee protect the house again from for another puppy. Um, but like in, in a in a jovial way, she was kind of like, "Oh no! Now we have all these things we have to do." I was trying to go, you know, on vacation. Now we gotta train this puppy. Uh, but she kind of took a look and was like, "Okay, I'm in love with the puppy now." As I think we all are. Uh, I think we're all jealous of Coach in that regard.
1: I was nervous that that puppy was just gonna start like in front of all those start people, peeing. all the lights <laughs> on and everything. He was just gonna start peeing everywhere. So I think that the uh, I think the presentation went off uh, about as well as you could have expected or as well as you could have hoped.
0: Yes, it was very, very cute. Guys, actually, before we go, I want to really, really quickly mention it's got nothing to do with Duke. But I just I was fascinated by the story this week. The Carrier Dome in Syracuse, Duke has played there m- multiple times, it is one of the legendary arenas in sports. I had no idea. But the, the company Carrier that purchased the naming rights to that to that facility They purchased it back in 1979 for $2.75 million, which was a lot of money in 1979. But, you know, looking back, you're kind of like, that's not, they bought it forever. Like they bought the naming rights in perpetuity for $2.75 million. And this year they reached a deal, uh, Syracuse and the carrier corporation reached a deal where carrier has given up those naming rights. It will no longer be called the carrier dome. Um, I, I imagine that Carrier was was given some amount of money to give up those naming rights and instead a company called JMA Wireless, I guess it's going to be the JMA Wireless dome. JMA Wireless is going to be the, the new company that is going to have the name and they're going to pay around or more than 2.75 million per year <laughs> for what Carrier had paid for, for all of eternity. Um, I, I just thought it was fascinating i had no idea that they bought the rights forever what was syracuse thinking selling the name rights forever that's one of the best deals in the history of sports sam well this was
1: during the this was during the the early days of companies buying stadium naming rights and so they probably didn't realize that the you know that the naming rights were going to become so expensive or that they would be annual contracts as opposed to lifetime things so i always liked that carrier was the was the sponsor of the Carrier Dome partially because initially I just didn't even realize that it was a that it was a company name, and then once I did, I sort of liked that it was an air conditioning company that was sponsoring a a dome stadium in Syracuse. Like the, it just it felt kind of kind of cool.
2: I, I think well, first of all, it's going to be called the Carrier Dome. The official name may be the JMA Wireless Dome, but ain't nobody calling it that. Everyone's calling it the Carrier Dome. Um, but I, I think the other thing was the Carrier Dome's deal that you mentioned, Jason. I believe that was the first one ever, like for any college institution, because most. Oh, it might have been. I don't them, know. Yeah, yeah. Most of you know most. If you think about it, most college stadiums or arenas are named after people who have donated money, uh, or coaches, or or players, or something like that. They're not named after companies. That has only been a more recent trend. Uh, but I believe the carrier dome was the first one and people can check me on this DBR at gmail.com. If I'm right, uh, do not email me if I'm wrong. I don't, I, I don't want to know if I'm wrong. Um, but I do think it was, it was the very first one from a college perspective uh, on a stadium. So that was why everyone was like, Oh, kind of, what is the mold? The mold apparently was for, in perpetuity and they are like, okay, we need to make some money off this, but I will say this. I am glad that they have to deal with that and not Duke, because Cameron Indoor Stadium shall and forever will
0: be Cameron Indoor Stadium. Sam, you mentioned the fact that Carrier is an air conditioning company. Did you guys know that up until 2018, they did a big renovation of the Carrier Dome in 2018. Up until 2018, there was no air conditioning in the Carrier Correct. Dome. Because Syracuse, <laughs> New York, they don't need, you know, it's just it doesn't get that hot up in Syracuse. And so they never had air conditioning in the Carrier Dome uh, from 1979 until 2018, even though it was named after the Carrier Air Conditioning Company. And that was, uh, I think, in part because of complaints about
2: they wanted to do all those big college basketball games where they'd get 35,000 people and boosters were kind of like, yo, if you're going to pack us all in here in January, we're all wearing like long sleeves. It's kind of hot up in here. I don't care if you're wearing a football stadium. It's kind of hot in here.
1: So maybe you should turn on the AC just a little bit. Uh, it, would is, really help. it is mildly uncomfortable because, as you said, Donald, you have to show up in, in kind of heavy clothing and there's nothing like near the carrier dome. I went once a few years ago for a football game so I, I've never been for a basketball game but it is sort of jarring when it's when it's really and you walk inside and you're like huh I actually kind of wish it was a little chilly in here because I wore long johns to the game so I <laughs> do have to you've sort of managed those and I'm I'm uh, I, for too much information I run hot so uh I'm I'm really sensitive to this sort of thing
0: same Okay. So that, that's, that is too much information. This is too much of a podcast. We are all done with episode 200. I'm sorry, 416, 216, 216 was back in like 2018, I think, or something like that. <laughs> episode actually, it, was like two, it was like two months ago with this. Pace actually, we're you're right at the pace we've been going, right. Uh, episode 416 of the Duke basketball report podcast in the books. Like we mentioned, keep those emails flowing it may be the off season but we still want to hear from all of you dbrpodcast at gmail.com that's the email address it is not too late to like and subscribe we ask you all please go ahead like subscribe put in those reviews we want all that stuff for donald for sam i am jason and this is the duke band do what they always do play us out and take us home All right, guys thanks a lot yep i'm going my bet is be on your toes that we will have we're going to get just a huge flurry of announcements over the next few days so we'll we, see you know i don't know that we need to like you know, when paulo declares that we need to do it immediately but we should probably probably tuesday or wednesday we're looking at doing another pod i bet because we'll get a few announcements by then and I, and I, if we get a we'll um if we get a roach or a keels or more coming back we should hop on that very quickly Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye guys. Cool. Later.